It's a time of changing seasons in New York. Summer is in its last days. America is back to work, and the kids are back in school as the routine begins anew. But for the world's top tennis players, they are wrapping up the work they've done in the Grand Slam season. Coco Gauff is making all the headlines for her transcendent play, but she does not take center stage until Saturday afternoon. On Friday in Flushing Meadows, Daniil Medvedev turned the tables after an underwhelming Grand Slam season, getting a win over his 2023 nemesis, world number one, Carlos Alcaraz. Well, earlier in the day, Novak Djokovic hung up the phone on Ben Shelton. Trips Tennis Talk proudly presents coverage of the 2023 United States Open Tennis Championships. Hey everyone, welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. Coming to you now, 1.23 in the morning, East Coast time, late Friday night for me here. It is 10.23 p.m. on Friday night, September 8th on the West Coast here, and we are coming to you a couple of hours after an incredible second men's semifinal, which I will come on to in just a moment. First, let's tee it up. So there have not been uh, podcast episodes for a couple of days. Here in uh, my world, we are getting back into the swing of uh, school, and I've been quite busy acclimatizing to my new life, getting into my new routine. The first week, it definitely takes a toll on you physically and mentally when you are learning a new routine. And just thinking about this out loud here, on Tuesday, our first day of school, and it was my first day of school at a new place, afterwards I was shot when I got home from work. I could have tried to kill myself by doing all my exercise routines and all my uh, house routines and all that sort of thing, but at the end of the day, your brain is just overwhelmed with new information, and it was like that for a couple days this week. There was one day, maybe Wednesday, was the day that I had the most energy, and Thursday, yesterday, was one of the stranger days in my career so far with uh, some traffic uh, issues that happened in the town where I work. Two hours to get home instead of the usual half hour. There was a one-hour delay on a bridge, and I know that student dismissal was affected Students were dismissed about a half hour late, and this is only the third day of school. So their, their first three days of school this week, Tuesday was the first day, dismissed at 2.50. The second day, Wednesday, was early dismissal, which is a regular thing. Second day, they dismiss at 1.50. Third day, it was a delayed dismissal because of this uh, traffic situation, and they dismissed at about, let's call it, 320. And then today was a regular dismissal 
at 250. But just think about that. In this business, it is so crucial to have consistent routines, and it's especially crucial to have it in the first week and to have four different uh, days in a row of dismissal time, three different times across four days. That's absolutely nuts. And for a lot of the students, stamina is a problem. It was a problem for me as the high-functioning adult that I like to think that I am. It is uh, true that the new routine caused me to be quite fatigued. And that manifested itself on this podcast feed here by not manifesting an increased number of podcast episodes. But for them, it also manifests for the students at a much more noticeable level in terms of how they function in society. Just think about when you're tired, you're not at your best. And that could happen to a, you know, it could happen to a kid anywhere in the world. And it can happen to adults too. But after a fun, rewarding um, first week of work that was definitely more positive than negative on balance overall, and it ended positively, which is good, after that week, I uh, might have ducked out of work 10 minutes early to get home on time for the first point of the second men's semifinal today at the U.S. Open between still number one player in the world, Carlos Alcaraz, and the number three player in the world, Daniel Medvedev. And the two guys coming into this match, they had played twice this year. They played in the final of Indian Wells. Alcaraz destroyed Medvedev. Medvedev complained about the court conditions on that day. It was a dreadful match, not close at all. Medvedev uh, said that the Indian Wells hard courts were not like real hard courts. He was intimating that the courts were too slow. Considering today's result, perhaps Medvedev was correct in hindsight. And the match in Indian Wells was so dreadful that I spent the second half of that match writing the rap, uh, Carlos Paradise. Please go back into the Trips Tennis Talk feed and download that episode, if you have not already, from March of 2023, Carlos Paradise, to hear uh, my fictional portrayal of Carlos Alcaraz as an overconfident uh, rapper. Alcaraz and Medvedev, they played again in the Wimbledon semifinals, and it was a carbon copy. It was an absolutely dreadful match. Medvedev got destroyed, 3-3-3, I believe it was. In the second half of that match, it was so bad, I spent the rest of the time writing the rap Max on Carlos Future, which has appeared twice in the podcast, once in that episode, 
titled Maxon Carlos Future, and then also in the Megapod 3 episode, um, Fresh Prince featuring Luke McManus. Please go back and listen to that episode. It also appeared at the end of that. So we had two matches coming in between ATP players at the top of the game that were one-sided in Alcaraz's favor, in which he was very comfortable, in which Medvedev was a lost child and played extremely poorly. And these matches resulted in two raps from the fictional Carlos Alcaraz uh, rapping character. So in the days leading up to the tournament here, I had been monitoring these two guys' progress through the draws, knowing that if they played, I might feel obligated to write a rap at this point. And uh, so that is where my mind was coming into this one. Let's talk about it set by set now. So this semifinal started on September 8th at 7.22 p.m. local time in New York. Alcaraz held his first service game. Medvedev's first service game, he double-faulted three times. It w- and immediately you think, oh my gosh, here we go again. And it was a multi-deuce game. And despite the three double faults, Medvedev held for one all in the first set. And even at this earliest junction, that was a measure of competitiveness that had not existed in the previous matches. Because if Medvedev loses his serve in that Love 1 game in the manner that he did with those double faults, that would be consistent with how the previous two matches began and the feel of those matches of Alcaraz completely dominating and Medvedev not would be imposed into the match today. And that could absolutely have colored how the match played out. And Medvedev got a couple of more holds after that. One all, two all, three all. And when it was 4-3 on serve, I texted people and said, half an hour in, Medvedev is not losing yet. And this already feels different than the previous matches. And even if he had lost from that point, 6-3, 6-love, 6-1, it would still have been true that through 30 minutes, Alcaraz had not gotten out to a lead yet, which was new and fresh in this matchup this season. 4-all, 5-all, 6-all. That was another hurdle passed. At 4-all, that was the first time Medvedev had gotten to four games in a set um, against Alcaraz this season. And it wasn't like Alcaraz was up 6-love, 6-love, 5-3, and he lost a game to make that stat technically true but spiritually not really mean anything to the tone of the match. It wasn't uh, he was up 5-love in the first set and got it back to 5-4 and then broke at love or anything. It was the closest possible scenario for that stat to be true at 4-all in the first set, alternating games on serve. 
Again, this is new. Five all, new. Six all, new. And again, even at this point, if Medvedev had lost this tiebreak 7-0 and he had lost 7-6, 6-3, 6-4, it still would have been true that the match was more competitive than the first two matches this year. At 3-all in the tiebreak, um, Alcaraz uncharacteristically gifted some points to Medvedev, and that was the difference. Medvedev wins the first set in a tiebreak, despite being the worst player in a set. And it does happen in tennis. Sometimes the worst player in a set does end up pulling it out at the end. And that was definitely true here. Early on in the first set, actually in the third game, Medvedev was serving at 1-2 in that first set, and he hit this weird no-man's-land body shot. He just blocked his racket in front of him and tried to use that technique to hit a drop shot, and it was a terrible drop shot. Alcaraz punished him, um, and that really encapsulated the vibe of the entire first set until the last four or five points that went Medvedev's way when Alcaraz made some errors. And this brief moment in the match rattled Carlos for an extended period of time, which I believe we will hear him say in his press conference shortly here. And Alcaraz had a second set hangover, um, Medvedev got the early break to go up two love. It was on serve for a couple of games, and it kind of felt like Medvedev was sort of blowing some of his break point chances at this point. Um, Alcaraz was down love three, had to save a break point to hold. He was down one four, had to save another break point to hold. Actually, he didn't. He lost that game. But there was a brief moment where it felt like Medvedev could have been even more dominant in the second set than he was. But long story short, Alcaraz went on a mental and physical walkabout in that second set because of his poor play at the end of the first set. And Alcaraz having negative body language is not something that we are accustomed to seeing in the last couple of years. Um, at one point, he went to the changeover, he had his racket, he made the motion like he was going to smack his racket or knock over his water bottles, he stopped midair, and with that restraint, he did not complete the racket smash, he did not make contact. But even him going that far, and complaining to his box, and looking chagrined and strained and uncomfortable, that is very unusual for Carlos. And two things were true at this time. Number one, I believe he was tired. Um, and I think because he was losing in the scoreboard, that allowed it to manifest. If you were tired at 8.30, he would have been tired at 7.30, and he would have been tired a couple of hours before that because he's played a lot of tennis this year. He's made it deep in a lot of tournaments, which means he's playing almost every day, and he's playing a lot of tournaments, which means he's playing even more. And 
if you had that level of fatigue on your body and you played a guy like me, Trip, in the semifinals, you would win easily and he would still be tired, but it wouldn't be a reason for the loss. The fact that he lost the first set the way he did and then the way he lost, that that, uh, contributed to him losing the second set in the way that he did. He was mentally deflated, and in that moment, he looked kind of droopy, he looked kind of low energy, and maybe if his body is feeling it a little bit, um, the score line and him getting outplayed um, allowed the match to proceed in that fashion. But that's point number one. Point number one, he played badly for that stretch. Point two is... He is still young, and even if he is tired, he can go through peaks and valleys. If he has a bad 45 minutes, that does not preclude him from rallying and still potentially winning the match. And even in the second set, I knew that to be true, and I was aware of that. So Medvedev gets up two sets to love. And also for Medvedev, he's capable of losing from two sets to love up. Um, but we don't necessarily know if Alcaraz is capable of winning from two sets to love down because, um, this was only the sixth time in Alcaraz's entire life as a human being that he was two sets to love down in a tennis match. The average pro, if you've been on tour for any length of time, you know, most pros don't win Grand Slam tournaments, and they lose convincingly to top players when they play them. So your typical pro has many losses from two sets to love down, or at a minimum, they've been two sets to love down many times in their career. And for Alcaraz to only do it six times, even at the age of 20, it's just a spot that he does not have that much experience in, that much knowledge of. And interestingly... Twice of the six times that he's been down two sets to love, it's been to Daniil Medvedev. The other time was at Wimbledon 2021, where uh, Alcaraz was ranked 75 in the world and hadn't become Carlos yet. But hey, statistically, that counts. And so, obviously, this would have been a first career comeback from two sets to love down for Carlos. And, you know, best of five matches, they ebb and flow. As you might expect, Carlos got the early break in the third set, and he was on his way for a little bit. But I've been around long enough to know a couple things. One, best of five matches ebb and flow, and just because you've got the mo early in a third set... That does not mean you'll win the fourth or fifth set if you're in one of these comeback situations. Two, there are a couple of different types of of best-of-five matches, as any of you who've watched tennis for a while know. If Carlos Alcaraz was down two sets to love against, I don't know, Benjamin Bonzi, um, and if Alcaraz got a two-love lead in the third set you would say, oh, the match is over. It's happened this tournament when Novak Djokovic was down two sets to love to Laszlo Gera. He was never really in danger. 
So that's one type of best of five match. The other type of best of five match is where the underdog opponent that's up two sets to love can get outplayed for a while, maybe lose the run of play, but they're still good enough to rally in the third, fourth, or the fifth to overcome the momentum change to still win the match and complete the upset. And Medvedev is that caliber of player. Um, The people that follow my texts, if I believe a player is going to win from two sets to love down, I'll let you know, like I did with Laszlo Jerry the other day. When he was up two sets to love, I said Djokovic in five, and that happened. But today, I was not texting, oh, um, you know, as soon as uh, Alcaraz got up two love in the third, I didn't say, oh, it's over. I was kind of close when that happened later on in the match. But at this point, I wanted to give Medvedev enough respect for uh, managing the best of five format, or at least for his uh, potential ability to do that. But Alcaraz definitely got rolling in the third set. He played much better. Um, his dip of form in the second set went away, and uh, his uh, productivity increased for sure. Don't know if I have much more to say about the third set specifically. Um, once he got up early, it felt like he was going to win it all the way, and it felt like the early games of the fourth were going to be crucial because in the f- at the start of the fourth set, Alcaraz had essentially um, leveled the match in terms of the scoreboard pressure. As uh, as people who have been on tennis Twitter a while uh, think, like um, when Alcaraz won the third set, he tied the match one set to two because if he had gotten up early in the fourth, he would have been a heavy, heavy favorite to win it in five for sure. Um, so in the fourth set, the fourth set was something else. Um um, Medvedev, who had been playing worse in the third, he opened the fourth set by holding to love. And even that one small moment of just getting ahead on his serve, that set the table for what was to come for the rest of the set. And, and on my text alerts, I told people before the fourth set started that, the, that um, if Medvedev can get up on his serve, because he was serving first, which was huge, 3-2, 4-3, or 5-4 on his serve, number one, he would have been playing well enough to be able to get in that position, and two, he would be much closer to the finish line, and he would be, in theory, playing better and able to uh, keep playing at that level to be able to get to the end. And so a couple games go by, um, Medvedev double faulted on the first point of his one-all service game in the fourth, and you're thinking, uh-oh, here comes Carlos, and he fended off some break points to a hold, and that game was, again, was just huge for Medvedev to go up 2-1 to inch that one more game closer to the finish line, and to start to change the direction of the match at that point. Um, in the fourth set, overall, Alcaraz regressed f- 
back to his first and second set level. The third set, in retrospect, I think was an outlier. Um, that was when Alcaraz played his best and Medvedev played his worst. And in the fourth set, Medvedev was able to get the scoreboard pressure to allow the match to regress to the mean of how it had been playing out in the first two sets. Um, so again, 3-2. Um, long, multi-deuce game that uh, eventually ends with the Medvedev break. Um, and, you know, I'm, I should, we should stop and talk about how the, the emotion of the match more at this point. The crowd was definitely behind Alcaraz 92%. Oh, Brad Gilbert has to be an odd number, right? So 93.7% of the crowd was rooting for um, Alcaraz. And we'll, we'll talk about maybe why that is a little bit later, but... Definitely, every time he won a point, and because he was trying to make a comeback, he was playing to the crowd, he was doing his uh, sort of vamos-type routine, and Medvedev was being pretty quiet, and uh, the crowd was definitely trying to will on Carlos. Um, Carlos, uh, over time, over the series of long deuce games in the last couple of games of the match... Medvedev sort of started to work him over a little bit, started to force him into some more errors, and um, it was a long game, and even though we had lots of game points and stuff, um, Alcaraz's serve was eventually broken at 2-3, then Medvedev was up 4-2, that game was pretty easy, he got up 5-2, Carlos held his serve easily, and then we get to Medvedev serving for the match at 5-3, and um, on Alcaraz's side, again, overall, he just made too many mistakes in the last couple of games on his serve and his return. Um, on Medvedev's side, he took many, many match points to close it out. And by God, it was dramatic. Medvedev, he was very capable of losing that match, even though he was serving for it at 5-3 match point up. In the fourth set, there was a definite feeling like I was thinking, I think it was on the first match point. I was actively thinking in the moment that if Medvedev loses this point, he's probably going to go on to lose the match. And I think that almost happened. Um, he t- I think Medvedev took four or five match points to be able to close the door to get that win and that hold of serve. But Medvedev does not do himself any favors in this situation. He, so let's have some context, right? 2019, he did the whole song and dance with the Armstrong crowd about criticizing them in the match against Kupfer. And then he apologized the next one, and he, you know, he, he, he goes back to being the babyface. Um, 2021... He was not the crowd favorite against Djokovic because they wanted him to win the Grand Slam, Djokovic, the calendar Grand Slam. And when Medvedev was serving for that U.S. Open, he played very quickly and he got really upset with the crowd. The crowd was extremely disrespectful to him. They booed him. They booed him, like literal boo, boo birds, 
when he was trying to serve, when he was tossing the ball up in the air, they were still booing. And it's tough, but Medvedev let it affect him. He stopped his point. This is back in 2021. He stopped his serve. He went to the umpire. He complained about it. He kind of tossed it a couple times. He kind of told the crowd to stop doing it, and they didn't. So then Medvedev just kind of eventually got on with it. And in 2021, when he did get on with it, he double-faulted a few times and kind of tanked his serve. I think he served for it at 6-4, that day. And when he was serving for it at 5-4 again, you know, my heart was in my mouth because I like Medvedev. And, you know, the same thing kind of happened, but he kind of got it done a little bit. And uh, today, in 2023, the same thing was happening. When he was serving for the match, they were being very disrespectful. Maybe they weren't outright booing like they were the last time, but they were definitely shouting when he was serving. And the other day, he mentioned that too. So yeah, to, just to go back quickly, a couple days ago, over the first weekend, he was complaining about people in the crowd that were not behaving correctly. And, and he had the salty interview afterwards with Pam Shriver. And today when he was serving for the match again in a high-profile situation in what would be considered an upset, um, he let it affect him. He double-faulted, he played ultra-quick, he was, seemed like he was on the verge of, of a choke. He seemed like he was one Jenga pull, as a car zooms by outside here, he was one Jenga pull away from a complete meltdown, it felt like. And it felt like if he had teetered over the edge in that 5-3 game and lost his serve after having all those match points, it felt to me like maybe not now, but they could have been out there for another couple of hours. And it felt like the winner of that game was going to win the match because Carlos, even playing below average with the momentum, with the crowd having a David Foster Wallace-esque Roger Federer as religious experience moment, it just felt like Carlos could have really easily won that match, and uh, Dan- Daniel Medvedev is extremely fortunate to have got that match done 6-3 in the fourth. Um, the scoreboard looks relatively routine, with Medvedev getting the huge upset win, 7-6, 6-1, 3-6, 6-3. But man, those last two sets were hard. Medi had to earn it. That is one of the most... Tense, cut the tension with a knife, 6-3 in the fourth matches you will ever see. My heart was in my mouth, especially on the third and fourth match points. You could barely even breathe because the match was so thinly poised. You didn't know who was going to come through in that moment. But Medvedev comes through at uh, 10.47 p.m. And... uh, here is what he said to Mary Jo Fernandez afterwards. Daniel, congratulations. What an incredible match. What does it mean for you to be back in the U.S. Open final for the third time? Amazing. I mean, especially beating someone like Carlos. Uh, I lost two times easy against him this year. So before the match, for sure, a lot of doubts. Could I uh, impose my game to him? What should I do better? Uh, finally, amazing match from my side, and I'm really happy to be here on Sunday. Well, you said you had to be better than perfect. 
to beat Carlos. What did you do differently to get the win tonight? Well, I said I needed to play 11 out of 10. I played 12 out of 10, except the, the third set. So uh, that's the only way he's, uh, he's uh, I don't know if he's still 20 or 21, but it's so young already. Two Grand Slams, world number one for many weeks. is just uh, honestly just pretty unbelievable. And I think nobody has done it before him. So uh, to beat him, you need to, to be better than yourself. And I managed to do it. Well, after you got up two sets to love, Carlos made a push. You took a little bit of a break. What did you tell yourself before the fourth set? Uh, well, the third set was not so bad. I lost one serve. I didn't have a lot of opportunities on his serve, but I felt like I was not that far. So I was like, I have to continue pushing, have to do a little bit better on my serve. I served some, uh, saved some break points at one all. That was uh, very crucial. And then this uh, super long game where I managed to to, to do some amazing points to stay in the game and then uh, he kind of uh, which is uh, maybe we don't see him do this often he, he started to miss a little bit so uh, yeah amazing well now it'll be a rematch of your final two years ago against Novak Djokovic what is the challenge now playing he'll be number one next week uh, the challenge is uh, that you play a guy who, uh, who won uh, 23 Grand Slams, so, <laughs> uh, and I have only one. <laughs> so, same, I need to, uh, when I beat him here, I managed to play better than myself, and I need to do it again, there is no other way. Okay, and finally, the crowd. You love the crowd, whether they're for you or against you. It took you a little while to close it out. What does it mean to you when you finally finish this match? Well, first of all, I have to be honest, uh, the crowd was unbelievable today, like absolutely. Absolutely unbelievable, and I mean it. I mean, uh, we had some crazy points and I felt, let's call it, love to both sides. And uh, the only thing probably a thousand Spanish guys uh, at 5-3 started screaming uh, between first and second serve. That's not so nice, but I guess they were desperate, so I'm happy it didn't help them. They can go to sleep now. I have one more. What goes through your mind on the first match point, second serve? When do you decide, I'm just going to go for another first serve? The thing is that uh, I did some uh, second, uh, fast second serves all on his forehand. So I was like, I think he's going to wait either this or a kicker. So if I do this one and I put it in, I don't think he's ready. Uh, and also the, my first serve, I felt like I did a good serve, but the toss was not there. So that's why I missed. The only problem that on the second serve, I tossed also very bad. So that's why I did a double fault. And then, uh, I mean, what a, what a last game. I think I saved like, what, four or five break points. We both got tight, but I managed to do it. I'm really happy. Well, it was a terrific performance. Congratulations. Best of luck in the final. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Everyone, Daniel Medvedev. There you go. There he is. Let's look now at uh, the rankings. Let's get a rankings update. First, I'm just going to do the uh, race points here. So, uh, checking in on your ATP race. Alcaraz is still number one there, even though he's going to lose the number one in the, in the official 52-week. He's qualified for the ATP finals. He's got 8,175. Novak Djokovic has also qualified for the ATP Finals. He's got 8,145, difference of only 30 points there in the race. So if Djokovic wins the title on Sunday, 
he would uh, go to number one in the race as well by a couple of hundred points, by just under 800 points there. Number three, Medvedev. He's also qualified for the ATP Finals by virtue of winning a couple of his matches this tournament. He's up to 65-90. Big win for him today, but for the season as a whole, he will be number three no matter what happens on Sunday. And uh, the top three guys were the, you know, the guys in contention here at the end here. Just to go through the rest of them, Sinner is at four. Rublev's at five. Sitsipas is at six. Holger Runa is at seven. Alexander Zverev is at eight. And on the outside looking in, Fritz, Rude, Damonar, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo. Um, let's try and find uh, Ben Shelton here. Let's see where he is. Where is Ben Shelton? Not seeing it. Let's look for that U.S. flag. Ben Shelton in the race is up to number... Do, 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 do. Still don't see him. Really? Oh, he's up to number 17. There you go. Ben Shelton is up to 17 in the race. He has a good shot at being top 20 for the year. For not winning consecutive matches almost all season... That's going to be a good effort for Ben Shelton there. So, big picture. What does this mean for Carlos Alcaraz? He only won a single major in 2023, which, given how much coverage and hype he received, kind of feels like he underachieved to me. He didn't play Australia because he was hurt. He lost in the Roland Garros semis to Djokovic in the mental choke moment, self-admitted. He beat Djokovic in the Wimbledon final, but he had needed a fifth set and an off day from Djokovic and an amazing day himself to do it. And yes, I am trying to uh, discredit his Wimbledon win in trying to make my point on this day. And he gets outplayed and he looks out of sorts against uh, Medvedev, who hasn't exactly lit the world on fire this season, despite his winning streak in the spring. So, missed one with injury, got comprehensively outplayed in the other two, and then won the other one. Overall, I think Alcaraz has been covered in a way that suggests he should have done more than one major. He's going to need two or three major years like Federer did in 2005, 6, 7 to be able to fill the media hype that he's created. And he's talked a little bit about this tournament, um, about how sometimes you would not like to be in the spotlight so much. So, you know, maybe that's something to consider with Alcaraz as well. What if Alcaraz only stays at two? Um... At, at, at Wimbledon, I said, what if Djokovic is done winning? Well, what if the same is true here? What if Alcaraz is done winning? I know it's a ridiculous statement, and it's probably not true, but it could be possible, right? What if he only ends up with two Grand Slams? So Alcaraz's year, it's very good, but it only had one major. So how good is it really? For Medvedev, um, he's had a weird season. 
you know, in February, March, and April of this year, when he won everything, it felt like Medi was back. But just to be blunt, yes, that part of the season matters, and it's important, especially when it's happening. But here on September 8th, that run back in February, March, and April does not seem nearly as significant as it did at the time because he didn't back it up with winning a bunch of Masters 1000s except for Rome and Miami or doing uh, trophy-winning work at the majors because at Roland Garros, he lost in the first round. At Wimbledon, he got destroyed in the semis. And then in his peak time of year, the month of August... He went out early in Canada, went out early in Cincinnati because I wasn't there to watch him win, and, you know, he came into the U.S. Open as as a third man, a forgotten third man, a, a third man that was an afterthought. Um, and he has um, flipped that narrative on its head. Alcaraz versus Djokovic is not happening. It is off. Medvedev is into the finals to uh, await Novak Djokovic. So it was a. It's been a strange year for Medvedev. It hasn't been. I don't think it's the best season of his career, but maybe he's a match away from changing that. Um, this felt like a final to me. This could be one of those weekends where the women's final is the story. Pretty much regardless of the result, if Coco Goff wins, that's going to be a mega hyper story, especially in the American sports press, and rightfully so. Absolutely. This would be a situation where if Goff won, all the hype would be completely justified, and I wouldn't be able to criticize it. So compare her winning to the... Uh, other two guys winning. Goff winning or Djokovic winning. Djokovic already has the record. That's not in threat. That's all gravy to him right now. Goff would be the bigger story. If Medvedev wins, okay, he beat Djokovic. Okay, Djokovic already has the record. So what? Medvedev, he's got two. That's nice. He's not a one-slam wonder. But Coco? So this is definitely a situation where on Sunday night, after everything's done... Coco could be the main story here. If Sabalenka wins, then, you know, you have a much greater chance of the men's final being the story, but I think we're in for something that doesn't happen all the time, where the headline match is going to be on Saturday, and Sunday could be a little bit less impactful, but let's see. I think the men's final was today. Today felt like a final, and honestly, Sunday does not feel as high stakes. Because the story today was flipping the script, something totally unexpected. And on Sunday, we're going to see something that we've seen before. We're going to see somebody win another Grand Slam. Because they've both won Grand Slams already. Um, so yeah, I think the men's final was uh, disguised as the match from today. Um, it was a crazy match to watch. I kind of hinted at that earlier. It's absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, it took me a, took me an hour or two to come down from the high of going through that as a Medvedev fan. So I did play uh, some. The, I played the on-court uh, speech there, but uh, let's hear some press conferences. This is the uh, the uh, semifinalist. The defending champ is out. 
Here's what Carlos had to say to the press after his defeat. Hi, Carlos. Matt Futterman from the New York Times. This was one of the first nights we saw you really sort of almost lose your temper on the court in that moment with the racket. And I'm just sort of curious, what was, what were you feeling and what was going through your head and how did you keep control? Well, uh, I think I said the match pretty well. Uh, it was a close first, uh, first set. You know, in the in the tiebreak, I you know after the three three all in the tiebreak, I let's say I lose my mind. You know, I make three or four points that uh, I with, without control. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think he was. Uh, you know, I I totally lose my mind on you know on that uh, on that set and uh, you know fighting for five uh, 50 minutes and then you know for four points lose my, my mind a little bit it was uh, it was really tough for me you know to uh to handle it you know in the second in the second set i didn't came back uh it was almost in the moon you know and that's uh uh for me it was it, it was tough you know and uh, obviously Daniel he was he was playing great so i you know, uh, it was uh, tough for me to to came back, you know, to the match and playing a, a, a great a great game again. You know, I, I almost uh, threw the rocket to the floor, but uh, you know, I I just uh, controlled myself a little bit just in a moment. But uh, it was uh, it was tough for me to to stay to stay calm. Okay. Richard, Richard Osborne, USOpen.org. Just wanted to ask you. you Coming into the tournament, you said this year you were a different player, a different person, more mature. How will that help you as you process the match tonight going forward? Well, uh, you know, these kind of matches can can happen. Uh, even if I feel myself uh, a different player, more mature, uh, you know, uh, he was he, he played he played really really great a great game so I couldn't uh, find solutions on on the match uh, and uh, you know I thought I thought that uh, you know right now I'm a better player to find solution when the the, the match is not going in the right in the right dis the direction for for your for for you but. Uh, you know, after after this match, I, you know, I I'm gonna I'm gonna change my mind. I'm not mature enough to to handle this this kind of of matches. So I have to to learn about about it. Okay, Craig. Carlos Craig Gabriel Nine Australia. Um, what you just said about maturity and all that. How long do you think this loss will stay with you, stay in your mind? How long do you think it's gonna hurt you? I don't know. Probably uh, days, weeks. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna. I'm gonna think about this loss uh, for a long time. Uh, of course, I have to learn about it. I I want to be better. Um, you know, this kind of of matches uh, help you uh, a lot to to be better and uh, grew grew up in in this kind of situations. But. Uh, I I have to talk with uh, with my team with uh, with Juan Carlos and uh, how I can be better. But uh, days, weeks, but uh, not not much longer than than that.
Willie. Willie Weinbaum from ESPN. A lot of talk, of course, has been about your rivalry with Novak. How would you describe the development of a rivalry between you and Daniel now? Well, obviously, Daniel is there. It's uh, always there. Uh, we, we've played three, three times this year, a final of a Master 1000, two semifinal of a Grand Slam. So, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we are going to uh, play, play more matches in the, you know, in, in final rounds of a big tournament. So, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good rivalry, uh, I, I think. Uh, and, you know, every match that uh, we've played, uh, I think we, we've shown uh, great points, uh, great battles. So it's going to be a, a good one, I think. Right. Name and affiliation, please. Daniel said he he lost easily to you in those two matches this year. Obviously, he played better today. When you say you had a hard time figuring out his game, what specifically was he doing better today that you were struggling to answer? Uh, he think mm, he played with uh, more speed in, in his shots. I think you know uh, the forehand running. It was it was it was great today. So uh, probably with the with the slice in the previous matches, uh, you know, helped me a, a lot to to find my my own game. But today I I couldn't. So he he found great directions with uh, with his shots. Uh, no mis uh, no mistakes. Great great serve today. Uh, so I, I think I think he played. Uh, his game, but uh, you know, ten or ten out of ten that uh, he said. So he, he he was great today. I have to to learn about it and found um, find solution in this kind of matches. But uh, I think he he played uh, a great match. Okay, a couple more in English, and then we'll go with Spanish. Andrew. Andrew Jones, ESPN, Anscape, Carlos, and he said twelve out of ten for him on the court. So that's how well he felt that he played, and yet. You were still right there. Do you feel that your serve, you want to make a more aceable serve in a match like this? As well as, do you also feel the crowd support again, but how they once again wanted you to try to come back and have you be so popular here now in New York? Sorry, say, 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 say again, please. Um, did you feel in terms of his, um, not only his serve, but did you feel your serve um, when it's to be more aceable and more uh, unreturned serves for your vantage point? And about the crowd trying to urge you back in without your fan favorite here now. Well, uh, he he's one of the best returner uh, on the tour. That uh, obviously is uh, is amazing how he can return from from the back of the core, uh, really deep and uh, really powerful. Is is amazing. And when I uh, do serve and volley. He always find the the passing shot from, from, you know, from his house. <laughs> it's am it's amazing. So uh, obviously, obviously, I have to, uh, as I say, I have to find you know the the right serve every time, and I have to serve better uh, to to be able to stay in a good position after after the the, the serve. So I, I will, I will do it in the in the next in the next game. 
And uh, obviously, with the crowd, it's, uh, it's amazing once again. Uh, the energy, the love that I received, uh, not only today, uh, but the, 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 first, the first match. Obviously, after the, the two sets down, uh, they pushed me you know, to, to increase my level, to, to stay there and uh, have a chance to, uh, to come back. You know? and obviously, the, the last game was unbelievable from, from the crowd to, to me. I mean, I almost couldn't hear anything than, to, than his screen. It was, it was crazy and uh, it's something that uh, I'm not going to forget. Even if I if I lost, but the energy the from from the people it was it was crazy. Okay, now let's hear from your winner, Daniel Medvedev. I managed to do it. Uh, all four sets I played great, but especially you know third set I played. Let's call it like this. I said I need to play Leon out of ten. All the three sets I won, I managed to do it. The third set, I would say I was maybe nine and a half, maybe 10 out of 10. And as we saw, it was not enough against Carlos. So I managed to, to play well. I managed to serve well, uh, hit some lines in important moments, uh, some great shots. So just uh, really happy, but the tournament is not over. Tournament is not over. One more to go. Another rematch from your Grand Slam victory. Yeah, and uh, that's what I'm saying, you know, against Novak, it's the same. You, he is always better uh, than previous time he plays. So, for example, I beat him US Open final, he beat me in Bercy in a great match. Carlos beat him Wimbledon, he beat him Cincinnati. So Novak is going to be his best version on Sunday, and I have to be the best ever version of myself if, if I want to try to beat him. Okay, congratulations once again. Thanks. Name and affiliation, please. David. Hi, Daniel David King. Tennis.com with how loud it was getting towards the end of the match. It felt like you were trying to play a lot faster to try to head off the noise. Is that what you were doing? And how were you trying to stay focused in such an intense ending? I, I don't even know uh, what I was doing in the end. I, for sure, you never want to serve during the noise. But I also sometimes, I'm not someone who likes to, if, if it's noisy, because either they want him to win or it's just a great moment, I don't don't like to talk, to bounce the ball like 15 times because then it throws me off the rhythm. So if I bounce it like three times and I feel like the noise is coming down, I'm like, okay, I'm going to serve it. So maybe that was the case. Maybe I was a little bit nervous, so that's why I went faster. But in general, even with this pressure, yes, some double faults, but some good serves also. So in general, I felt like uh, I handled it great. I mean, the most important is to win because uh, he had the same game where he had some advantage for him, break point, this, that, and I managed to win it. And in the end, it doesn't matter. We can always say, yeah, first match point, maybe I should make an ace and we don't talk about it, but who cares? The most important is to to finally get one match point uh, done, and I'm happy that I managed to do it. Okay, Ava. Wallace, the Washington Post. Um, you're known as a, a pretty good mover, especially for your height, but how do you rate your defense tonight? That has to be some of the most running you've done in, in a very long time. It was great because uh, there were some points I lost, but after the point I was like, wow, I, I have uh, caught some balls that were really tough. And uh, I was like, okay, that's good. You know, that means that next point I can do the same and maybe either he's going to miss or I could make a better shot. I was in the zone, so when I'm in the zone, I'm a great, uh, great defender. I run well. Uh, even there were some moments where I was like, "Damn, I should have started to run faster." Because sometimes you tend to look what your opponent is doing. But against Carlos, it's dangerous because he plays so fast, drop shots so fast, so you don't have this time to look. 
And, uh, you know, every time I looked and was slow, I was like, next time I had to do better, and I managed to do better next time. Right. Matt? You're not a stranger to Grand Slam finals. Do you have a day before the Grand Slam final routine? Not really. I would say... No, not really. You know, I'm going to have a practice at the same time I did uh, all the time, but not because of the superstitions, but because it's a good time to, to have some sleep in, but also have some time in the evening. So, no, I'm going to do all the, all the same. It's just a mental preparation where you're like, uh, you want to go to war, you know, you want to you wanna fight uh, till the end, you want to win, and that's, uh, that's how you should be in the final of a Grand Slam. Left side, Craig. Then you... Um Craig Aver, Australia. Um, obviously, it's important to win such matches. But how important do you feel? I asked this of Gilles a little while ago. Important is it that you won that match against Carlos tonight, considering the previous two you hadn't won a set off him? I don't know. I, I guess for the confidence and self-esteem, it's very important. At the same time, that the thing about tennis. Uh, it's great that I won this match, but if I lose on Sunday, the tournament, it's like it's a good tournament, but I'm going to be hell disappointed. And that's how tennis is. And uh, so, yeah, it was a great win. It's great for the confidence. You know, I have uh, hopefully long years of career ahead. And to know that I'm capable of doing it on the big stage every time you do it once more, one more time brings more confidence. You know you can do it again. You want to do it again. You want to feel this. And at the same time, what is the most important is to kind of use it, but forget about it and go for the next one. Okay, Willie. Willie Weinbaum from ESPN, congratulations. How will you use the 2021 final against Novak for your mental preparation for this one? And how do you think it will affect you in the match on Sunday? I think the only way I can use it is, as I say, thinking that Novak when he loses, he's uh, never the same after. So he's different. It's just a different mentality. That's why he has 23 Grand Slams, whatever, Master Thousand, weeks as a number one. Um, so I have to use it knowing that he's going to be 10 times better than he was that day. And I have to be, if I want to still beat him, 10 times better than I was that day. And that's what I'm going to try to do. Okay. All the way in the bleachers, Tamani. Carlos um, was very complimentary of your forehand. He said that you like increased the pace a lot compared to your previous matches. Just curious, curious how you felt about your forehand today, and, and what is the challenge of like playing at that pace over best of five sets? Yeah, the thing is that at US Open, and I don't really know the reason. I tend to play aggressive, fast. I serve well. Probably the speed of the court that helps me. Like Indian Wells, I mean that I did the final was amazing because I basically can't hit the ball there and it has nothing to do, let's call it, with my forehand. And so I, I beat some good guys there, some good matches, but as soon as I got someone like Carlos with his style of play, it was kind of over for me. Um, and uh, I would generally think that a court like Miami, maybe I could have done the same like today. So for sure I had my plan in my head, but I kind of had the same one in uh, Wimbledon and uh, and Indian Wells, it's just that the courts were tougher to use it. I mean, grass is completely different. So on grass, it's just tougher to hit this forehand. Um, so I'm happy that I managed to, to get in his head. Andrew. 
Andrew Jones, ESPN, Inscape, Mr. 12 out of 10. Um, Carlos said that you were returning from your house with the many great returns that you were hitting from deep. Just your thought about not only you being able to play more forceful at him and be right into him with your aggression, but also handling the crowd once again and dealing with all the celebrities that were in attendance like Tom Brady and Kevin Durant. Yeah, true. There were a lot of celebrities. They were showing all the time, and I was like, I was trying to stay focused, but I was like, who's there? Okay, who's the next one? So I, I think I saw everybody who was there, and some of them, yeah, were pretty big stars. So that's cool, you know, to see people enjoy tennis. Uh, that's uh, amazing because it's a sport uh, I love. So to see people I see on the TV, and some of them I'm a fan, some of them I, I know just, uh, you know, uh, seeing the movie or something like this, it's great to see them uh, enjoy such a great match. And talking about Carlos, yeah, I'm happy that uh, because in Indian Wells and Wimbledon, he used well my uh, return position from the back. Uh, but I knew that, in my opinion, it was not only this that uh, may, um, made me lose to him. And I felt like even returning from back, I can cause him trouble. And I managed to prove it today. And that's uh, actually going back to Craig's uh, question. It's uh, great to know that uh, even against probably one of the best drop shooters and serve and volley guys in the game, can return from far, can win matches. So great. Adesina Koiki, usopen.org. That sixth game of the fourth set, seven deuces, you know, Carlos pumps up the crowd, it's as loud as it's in Ash probably all evening. And then you get the break and then you have your own uh, hand gesture. You said at the end of the match that you genuinely loved, you know, was the amazing, crowd. Yeah. Was there a part of you that kind of had a, you know, how about them apples? Or like kind of stick it to them a little bit with that gesture? And how did like the crowd help in maybe easing the nerves or lack of confidence that you might have had coming into the match with the past couple of matches with Carlos? Yeah, first of all, this this game was absolutely amazing. I mean, every time, because I think if you say seven deuces, he probably had like six game points and I managed to use my second break point. And every time he had these game points, I was like, I was saying to myself, I can win this game. I can win this game. I managed to hit some amazing points. So we were both pumping up the crowd because the points were unbelievable. And when I won it, I was like, let's go, you know, try to finish the match. And I managed to do it. And as I said, the crowd was unbelievable today. I felt like, I mean, the energy was special. Uh, it's just that, as I say, for whatever reason, last game of the match, probably like thousand Spanish guys started uh, yelling and shouting between first and second serve. And that's not nice, but what can you do? I, I can tell you if after my career, <laughs> I'm somewhere on the tennis match and someone does it, I'm going to be like, it's him, it's him, this guy, this guy should be out of the tournament. I'm not going to even watch the match, I'm going to be like, it's him who did it, kick him out. But uh, yeah, when I'm on the court, I have to just uh, focus and try to win it. Okay, we only have time for a couple more. Howard. Hi, Danielle. Howard Fendrich with the Associated Press. Uh, what do you uh, think was the key for you with your serving tonight? And uh, I also wanted to ask you what memory for you is the strongest from that 2021 final here? The strongest memory is the last serve because uh, I did some double faults, I think two or three double faults on the match points and important points. And 40-15 uh, double fault and 40-30, I'm like, I have to make the serve and then play the point. And so I hit the serve. I, th 
I kind of see, in my opinion, that it's done. I see him far from the ball, and then somehow he touches the ball, and it almost went over. I'm like, oh my god, it, it didn't went over. So that was a big memory. And about the serve today, yeah, it was working well. And against someone like Carlos, you have to serve well. You have no other choice. If he, if he's all over your serve, he's all over you in a way. So I managed to to hit some good serves, to hit some good zones, to mix it up in important moments. Some. Uh, you know, we can call it lucky second serves because when you go for it, there is part of luck, but you also take the risk, which uh, if you are lucky, this risk can pay off. So today, today was great. So uh, that's, uh, as I say, it have to be the same on Sunday. Okay. Last question, please. Hello, my name is Sebastian Marella for Clay. Uh, there is this crazy statistic that your head-to-head -head is better with Novak when he's number one <laughs> and it's not good when he's out of yeah, number yeah, one. Yes, you I have seen the memes for sure. So is this an extra motivation when, when, when he's at the number one? And now it's like in a great zone because he's going to be number one. That's, that's funny because as you say, the statistic when he's like now he's still not number one. But well... <laughs> If we want to joke about it, I'm going to think, you know what, next Monday is number one. So if it's it's like if I'm playing him in, as a number one. But uh, generally, I don't know why this statistic is like this. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, with what happens in the matches. Uh, and as I say, Sunday, I really don't care if he's number one or number two. It's Novak Djokovic and I want to try to win. All right, let's leave it there. But before... We get to Sunday. We must have the schedule for Saturday, and that is going to be headlined by the women's singles championship, Coco Goff versus Arena Sabalenka. That starts at 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN on Saturday, September 9th. Be sure to tune in to that one. And then 4 p.m. on Sunday, Novak Djokovic versus Daniil Medvedev. Yes, Djokovic routined Ben Shelton in the other men's semifinal today, but that one we don't really need to cover. It was never in doubt. Yes, Djokovic did the call me maybe thing with the phone gesture and all that sort of stuff. You guys know about that already. We're not going to cover that. I want to keep the podcast at a reasonable length. So uh, we're just going to wrap it here. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the end. Thanks for listening to Trip's Tennis Talk. Daniil Medvedev upsets the world number one. Okay, so some of you might have been expecting a rap. 
like I said, the rap is from the um, the perspective of Carlos. And none of the circumstances that I had planned for included Medvedev winning. So now I kind of have to change this, and it's been thrown in flux a little bit. So what could I do that uh, speaks to it from Medvedev's perspective? So what is Medvedev's personality? Part of the reason why I like him is that he is the most relatable of the top pros. He's the closest to what my personality is. He's one of the rare sort of... He's got like the hardcore gamer sort of personality. So what video game song would encapsulate the results here? So, you know, Medvedev has kind of turned the tables here after losing twice to Alcaraz and... You know, what video game song could I pull that would sort of speak to that? You know, getting his challenger out of the way here. But here is a message from Mr. Medvedev to Mr. Alcaraz. Well, here we are again. It's always such a pleasure. Remember when you tried to beat me twice? Oh, how we laughed and laughed, except I wasn't laughing Under the circumstances, I've been shockingly nice You want your vacated, that's what I'm counting on I used to want you beat, but now I only want you gone You don't give up easy, I tried to give it all back With double faults and errors and too quick play The crowd was all for you, nobody clapped for me Sob, it's such a shame their guy got beat In four tough sets You've got your long flight home left That's what I'm counting on I'll let you get right to it Now I only want you gone Goodbye my nemesis Oh, did you think I meant you? That would be funny if it weren't so right Well, you have been replaced I don't need any help now When I beat you, maybe I'll stop feeling so bad Go on a long vacation That's what I'm counting on Door someone else's problem Now I only want